Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. I want to introduce our guest, Keith Broders. Well, that's obviously not only a problem for us, but that has been the uh, the way that dictatorships have arisen uh throughout the centuries. It is essential to control the education of children uh, for a dictator because that's how he ensures that there won't be a whole bunch of people protesting against them. If you take history and change history to favor what you're doing, then the common people will not know. Isn't that true? Well, it is very true. Um, We need to create critical thinkers. And I, uh, on my website, the one called the uh, Liberty Tree University, I have a, a section on there where I have quotations from the Founding Fathers. And I think probably one of the greatest ways to teach people how to think critically is to have them read a quote from Thomas Jefferson or from John Adams or from George Washington. Read the quote and then basically analyze the quote, ponder the quote, and, and basically determine whether or not the words are true or not. And if they're true, why, and if they're not, why? In other words, get people to think, not just to assume. Our schools basically teach kids to memorize and regurgitate. So evaluating the quotations of our founders uh, is obviously one way that we can approach teaching what children, kids, uh, and actually adults, for that matter, should know. What are some of those quotes that are so meaningful well, to you? One of the quotes that uh, is attributed to Thomas Jefferson, he says, a, na- a nation that expects to be ignorant and free expects what never was and never will be. Uh, that's one of my one of my favorite quotes. Um, um, when the government fears the people, you have tyranny. But when the government fears the people, you have liberty. These are just a couple of the types of quotes that... that, that uh, a government that is big enough to give you what you want is big enough to give you, take everything you have. These are just a few of the quotes. I've got probably 60 or 70 quotes. And as you read those quotes and you think about it, I, I think it'll really help people to start using their brain. You know, a muscle that is not exercised atrophies. And the same thing applies to your brain. If you're not asked to think, you don't think. And if you don't think, and obviously that makes you very vulnerable to become a slave. You know, I like very much the concept of examining the quotes of our founders. You know, if you read through books that contain the quotes of our founders, a huge 
percentage of those quotes were absolutely not only meaningful to understand freedom, but they're also applicable to today. And wouldn't it be great if we could uh, institute that? You go to school and say, I want you to read this quote and tell, tell me what it means to you, and then have a discussion. The problem to me that would be that to me that would be the ideal situation if, if, uh, if a high school teacher would have a quote of the day they could have a half hour discussion about the quote I mean it would, it would be it would really help to stimulate the brains of the kids so that they would begin to start to think you know if you really stop and think about it the, the most important thing that we should be learning in school is how to solve problems and, and in order to solve problems you've got to use your imagination you've got to You've got to use the scientific method. You've got to you've got to analyze, evaluate, observe, uh, explore evidence, and make your decisions based on those things rather than just on opinions and and the propaganda that we have around us. The problem, of course, is getting into the school, and that's really the issue here. Is that it is extremely difficult now to insert that kind of thought into the schools. Uh, every once in a while, I will get an invitation on Constitution Day to come and speak to some civics classes, or whatever they call them nowadays, uh, and to to talk about uh, the Constitution and things like that. Um, but other than that, how do you get into a school? How do you get a principal who is obviously indoctrinated him or herself uh, against or in favor of collectivism against our constitution, against our founders. How do you get them to allow you to come into the school? Well, I think we need to, you know, I think that uh, this virus has created an opportunity where a lot of parents have discovered that, you know, teaching your children at home is not as difficult as they may, may have originally thought. We we are basically, our children are being taught that the parents are not educated, they're not intelligent enough to be able to be good teachers. Well, you don't have to go to school to learn to ride a bike, or you don't have to go to school to learn how to talk and walk. Uh, these are things uh, that people learn naturally. Uh, education is a natural phenomenon. And I think that what we need to do is we need to have more parents who are willing to take personal responsibility to educate their own children. I mean, when when a child comes into the world, it's the job of the parents to feed them, clothe them, and and to educate them, teach them the things that they need to know to be productive human beings and to be um, productive members of society. Uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, because of our taxes and things like that, so, so many families are cannot really afford to home teach their children because both parents have to work. Well, if we didn't have so much abusive taxation. Um, you you go back before 1913. We didn't even have an income tax. Our country was doing just fine, and, and, and back in those days, the tax was like one percent. Uh, so, uh, so much of our problem, I think, has to do with debt. It has to do with our fraudulent. Well, don't for, don't forget that that all of that taxation, 1913 was one of the most tragic years in our history. You had the 16th Amendment, 17th Amendment, and the Federal Reserve Bank. 
And of course, we've talked about the 17th Amendment uh, that had a, such a deleterious effect uh, in terms of taking power from the states and transferring it to the federal government. And so did the 16th Amendment. Uh, you brought it up. But obviously, the 16th Amendment took the financial control of each state and bypassed the state government and funneled that money directly to Washington, D.C. How much more devastating can you get to individual freedom? Well, then what happens is, is that now that the federal government is collecting the money directly from the people, contrary to the Constitution, the Constitution says that you cannot have a direct tax. Taxes need to be apportioned among the states according to their respective populations, and that a direct tax is unconstitutional. But by having a direct tax, now the federal government can collect the money and then basically bribe the states with entitlements in order to get the states to comply with their wishes and to steal the state sovereignty. Well, look, in addition to that, look how much it costs us in wasted dollars. You know as well as I do, it's that, like, you, you buy something online and it's nineteen ninety five, and then they add on to $4.59 postage and handling. Well, that's money out of your pocket, too, of course. And, and that's the money that really pays for the, for the device that you just bought itself. And it makes the profit uh, pretty much pure that you're paying with the 1995. But look at it this way. Suppose that, that or understand that when you send money to Washington and then it comes back, a percentage comes back to you, they're taking out the shipping and handling in Washington. And it's not th four bucks versus 1990-1999 or whatever. It's a huge percentage of that money that gets in Washington, D.C. that gets put in the pockets of our representatives, the pockets of people who are cheating from us, who are stealing from us, in addition to which they want people like Nancy Pelosi, they want to take my tax money and your tax money from states that are being run properly and use it to bail out the states that are being run in a foolish monetary way. Uh, how is that fair at all? Well, it's certainly not, it is not. It's not. It's not just. Well, one other topic that I'd like to discuss, we'll probably have to do it in the next segment. I want to talk a little bit about uh, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 17, the Enclave Clause, which basically states that the federal government has only authorized to own land in the state's uh, with the permission of the state legislatures for the purposes of military fortifications, dockyards, post offices, and post roads, and that their 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 jurisdiction is limited to an area not to exceed 10 miles square. Go ahead. So basically, you take the the uh, the states in the west. The west, they're, they're, the states in the west are approximately the land in the western states is approximately owned. Over 50% of the land is, is currently being owned by the federal government. In California alone, there's 100 million acres in California, and the federal government claims to own 44 million acres. Now, why in the world does the federal government need to squat on 44 million acres of timber? There's water, there's mineral resources. If California had access to the land which rightfully belongs to the people of California, they wouldn't need any federal money. They could basically take care of all of their financial needs uh, by having access to their own natural resources. Um, most of the states in the East are 1% or 2 or 3% federally owned. There's a document that was uh, espoused in the Northwest Ordinance that said that all states that were going to be entered into the Union 
after uh, the initial uh, government was formed, would have to be admitted on equal footing. Well, if if uh, Delaware is 1% federally owned and California is 44% federally owned, I don't think that's equal footing. Well, that's always a very major concern for people like me for whom property rights are so important. Um, I do believe that in the East there were federally owned lands that were generally given back to the states uh, at some point early on. Uh, and yet, when you look out west, that's where the majority of federal lands are. You can see from uh, what is the result of that is, is that the federal government is totally incapable of managing those lands. And that is why we're having these enormous forest fires out west. Uh, this is land that was not properly managed for for decades and decades. Uh, and so we deal with it even here. We have federally federal lands here in our county, uh, in our counties here in, in the Appalachian Mountains. Uh, and again, the federal government cannot manage those lands, and yet they constantly want more. Uh, to me, that is stealing the birthright of freedom from individual citizens of the state. That land needs to be turned back to the states. It should not Absolutely. be held. Should not be held at all by the federal government. I often quote that same that you know ten square miles in Washington D.C. for capital, uh, capital uh, post offices, post roads, and military installations. And I say, where does that give the federal government to own the millions and millions of acres of land? Uh, where does it come from? How did it start? Well, one of the things that 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 was concerned Thomas Jefferson. He 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 was a, pretty much an agrarian sort of guy. He he wanted people to live, uh, you know, to spread out into the rural areas. He did not want to have all the people compacted into large cities. And today, our by having the government controlling all of this land. They basically have the ability to concentrate people into into very small geographic areas where they can basically better control the people and their assets. You take the city of Los Angeles. The city of Los Angeles is larger than I think it's the city of Los Angeles is like the tenth is, is has the same population as the um, it would be the tenth largest state <laughs> just on the basis of the population of that one city. And the larger the city, the more the corruption, the more crime, the more the conditions are uh, really deplorable. Well, you're, you're absolutely right. It's all about control. Because if you have people in an urban area, you control uh, their communications, you control their food, you control their travel, uh, you control the education of their children, you control their security, uh, you control pretty much every aspect of their life. And that is the goal of the uh, those who would have a worldwide, uh, gov worldwide, gov worldwide governance, uh, uh, one world government and uh, Agenda 21 of the United Nations and all of these kind of programs of the arrogant elite who want to rule the world again. Uh, they want us to live uh, off the land, they want us to live in small 
not into in urban centers where they can control us and and, and that that is uh exactly what is going on because the more land the feds control uh the less land there is available and it's easier for them to introduce all of those other kinds of various rules regulations and whatever uh because you're compacted into a city look at the results of that when it comes to our election look at the map the county by county map of the united states the entire country is red counties except for urban population areas where huge amounts of people live and because they're used to being controlled they vote for the collectivists and again that's the the whole idea of the democracy is that the majority uh has the right to tramp on the rights of the minority and uh that's that's why whenever whenever you hear the word democracy you, you know if i still had any hair on my head i lost most of it a long time ago but it would it would stand straight up when I hear the word democracy because to me the democracy is a is the worst of all four letter words. Well, we are not a democracy. A democracy is mob rule where fifty one percent rule over forty nine percent all the time, uh, and you've articulated that uh, very well. Uh, and we have discussed democracy as being the evil of democracy always actually leads to tyranny because what happens is people rise to the top and they control the government and because they give things to the majority at the expense of the minority uh they remain in power well that's uh that's the that's the plot uh you know it, it's uh it 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 had it you know the idea of the rule of the majority it sounds so wonderful on the surface but you know uh, there's the example in the old west of the lynch mob you know a guy is accused of stealing a horse and all of a sudden the, the majority decides that he's guilty and they they string him up well you know in our system you are presumed innocent until you're proven guilty and a person needs to be he needs to have due process and. Uh, a lynch mob is a democracy, an unbridled democracy, and uh, it's a very dangerous, dangerous thing. So we've discussed uh, over the course of time here, you and I, a variety of aspects of the Constitution. Uh, we've discussed some of the pitfalls. We've discussed the intention, which was basically to have individual sovereignty, state sovereignty, but not federal sovereignty. Basically, what the Constitution allows us to do is to, f is to find the balance between how much individual sovereignty each citizen is willing to give up. And I think that's really the key, because in order to have government, each individual cannot be a 100% sovereign. To have government, you have to give the government a percentage of your individual sovereignty. What you get back is what you agree to get back and what you agree to live by. And as long as there's that's in balance, things work out pretty good. So what I've well, one of the things one of the things that Thomas Jefferson said, and I think he used a poor choice of words. He said that governments derive their just power from the consent of the governed. I think he should have said. 
from the consent of the people, not the governed. Because if you're governed, that automatically says you're not free. You are subject to the jurisdiction of a higher authority. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The rights to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. And call them money waters. And people I just love to hear that old man sing. Yeah, when I play the hoochie coochie man, I get joy in everything. Everything. Everything gonna be all right this morning. <laughs>